Welcome to the Recruitment Marketing Rebelcast. My name is Elin Bailey, and alongside me on this journey into the talent acquisition and recruitment marketing universe is my friend and favorite partner in crime, Tracy Parsons. We've been getting together and talking and debating the world of TA for what seems like forever. And after a few too many cocktails, we thought, what the heck, let's hit record. And that, my friends, is how we ended up here, sharing our thoughts with you in hopes you'll find it equal parts fun, interesting, and a teeny bit inspiring. We don't sugarcoat the issues. We address them head on. So let's get this party started. Good morning, everybody. Afternoon, depending on where you're at. This is the Tracy and Ellen chit chat time, but we brought in a good friend to join us today, mainly because we got tired of listening to ourselves talk and wanted somebody who could add an extra little bit of flavor to our dialogue. The fact that uh, James even wants to come in and um, talk with us makes me so excited because I have been following the work that James has been doing for years and listening to him. And he's definitely somebody that I look up to and and hope that I have lots of opportunity to continue to work with. I have this dream someday. I'm going to get like, you know, like you have that story that people ask if you're going to have a dinner party and you can invite five people living and dead, who do you invite to your dinner party? James Ellis is on my list. You are James. And mainly because I know he's going to like tear it up and like throw some bombs on the table and everybody's going to go like completely crazy. Like there's going to be something that happens if James comes into the, into the dialogue. There's no like, way. There's no like way I can survive compliment. that. Yeah. That's, that's, next, that's next level compliment. That's really, really high. That's big. That's you, have, you have just <laughs> given me a live squid and I'm going to hold it going, what the hell do I do with this squid? This is inking. It's too much ink. I don't know what to do with this. You, what, what are you doing to me? That's what it is. So James, for those, um, you're with Roku now. Yeah. You're also the author of an awesome book called Talent Chooses You. I do have a question about your book, by the way, before we get going too far. Is the question why the pineapples? Oh my God. Yes, it is. (laughs) I know. That's everybody's question. I mean, I love the pineapples Uh, because everybody will ask the question. Yeah, no, it, I honestly, if I was that smart, I, yes, that would be the right answer. The truth is anybody who's written a book or anybody who's done this process, you know, it, it's a lot like building a house, right? By the time it's over, you're like, I don't freaking care what wallpaper, just put it up. I'm so done with this. And so when it came down to picking covers, I was like, I'm going to go to Unsplash and places for free pe- Pexels and all these places you're stealing free pictures. You're like, I don't know what the hell is this book anymore? I'm so in the middle of it. So I went and over a series of processes, just kind of grabbed some interesting photos and it was throwing up in the forums and saying, what do you think? And honestly, the pineapples was the one that we were like, well, it's different. I went, good enough. That's enough. That's fine. Yeah. That's when you're coming to my party because you'd be like, it's different. I'd be like, well, he's different. Though, frankly, the number of questions I got made me go, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't have punted on that one. Maybe I actually should have thought that one through. Uh, Yeah. It's only, you know what? The only reason people are asking questions is because everybody, because here's the deal, James. People think who know you and have listened to you speak and listened to you write, 
one of the things that you do is you have this really great way sounding just kind of off the cuff and just like you're freestyling it. But sounding? there's always some. Deep, I am. I it's know, all made up. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Listen to it. It feels like there's some deep underlying well thought through message. It's like you're it's like you're manipulating us to the to the core. Oh, God. Issue. And so when I see something like this, I immediately think when it's coming from you, there's something there's some hidden message there, right? There is like, no you know, three-dimensional chess playing here. I am not he, that smart. <laughs> James, when I saw the pineapples, I was like, he's obviously trying to say that employer brand from the outside seems very prickly, but when you really get into it, it's super juicy and sweet. So it's really a Rorschach test is really what yeah, you're saying. It's everybody brings to it what they want to bring to it. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. That's what I liked fair. about it. Totally fair. Yeah. See, this is exactly where I'm saying, James. You can't tell me you didn't need to do that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I have I have nothing else. I have nothing else to say about that. No, I can't do a squid ink everywhere. Everywhere. Can't handle it. Too many positives. Can't do okay. it. Can't be done. Can't be done. I'm going to TSF. I mean, James, obviously, thank you for joining us. But oh, thrilled um, to be here. as we're getting ready to, to have this conversation, there's been so surprisingly, it's 2021 and it pretty much yeah. just feels like Time out. it is surprising that it's 2021. It's surprising right. any of us got this far. Exactly. I don't even know how we got this far. And literally, um, as we sit a couple of weeks into 2021, I have no idea what's going to happen and, and where we're going and what we're doing. And that has big impacts to how we think about the work we do and how we connect to it and et cetera. But in the very beginning of the year, so those who follow stuff that I that I follow and um, pay attention to where I get ideas. There's a innovator and thinker out there called Brian Solis, who works for Salesforce now, does some really great stuff around experience design. And he's like, before I had I knew what a guru was, he was my guru. I was like, oh my God. I mean, if I ever met him, I mean, he's coming to the dinner party too, James, just so you know, he doesn't even know me. And I'm just going to be like, oh my God, please come. How do you refuse that invitation? Absolutely. So he wrote this really interesting piece that made me think of something, Tracy, you had said on our podcast a few episodes back when we were talking about the impact of COVID and how to think about um, employer branding and the new era and et cetera. And he talked about this concept around how we're shifting now from episodic memories, meaning kind of if you think about how people interact and do things. There's like this slow progression of over time, you'll have a series of experiences and it will change your perception and you'll start to behave and act in different ways. And because we have all had such a huge common experience and it is so traumatic and it's happened so on a massive scale, it has changed behaviors at a pace that is unlike anything else. And he's calling them epochal memories, which I love it when we can come up with a new word, epochal. Sounds very epic. Elliptic, maybe? Yeah, it is. It's very epochal. With an E, with an E, not an A. Yeah, Oh, God. Oh, just God. saying. No need yeah. to tempt fate, Tracy. Come on. Just saying. Just pointing out, you know, what you hear. See a, what a. you say. Yeah, see what, say what you see. Yeah, exactly. So it made me, I pulled a couple of points from something he was saying, and I would thought maybe I would love to throw this out to you guys and get your perspective on whether you think this impacts, not just where he's talking about it impacting consumer brands going forward, but what that means to us as recruitment marketers and employer branders. So one of the first things he says when he talks about these major shifts and changes and what the impact of that is, there's a report that's come out of McKinsey that says, 
that over the last period of time, while COVID has been kind of happening in the space, there has been 10 years worth of e-commerce transition and growth that you could normally expect just in a couple of months. And I started to think about that and started to think about how dramatically that changes people's digital experience with us. Like, how are they choosing to, to engage with us? I'm just gonna throw, I mean, does that sound like something you guys are seeing out there? Are you talking to brands who are talking about people experiencing or engaging with them differently? Are we, we're still so in the middle of it. I don't know if you can really tell yet. It's just to be, and to be fair, recruiting and HR is always a little behind the curve in terms of recognizing what they're seeing every day. They're so in the, there's the fish in the water that they don't notice that the water might be changing temperature around them uh, unless it's dramatic. And so, yeah, COVID kind of forces you to shift and say, well, wait, 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 what's going on here? And I think you're, the underlying idea is right. We are spending so much more time online and we're changing how we're interacting with each other. We're changing how we're interacting with those processes of buying things, consuming things, moving things. I mean, I haven't left my house in 11 days, all of our groceries come in via some person's car, right? Everything is shifted. So how does that change, you know, what a candidate might expect? If you know, you know, let's tie that into candidates don't expect to get flown anywhere. In-person interviews, it's all virtual. The interviews I'm having, it's fascinating to see when candidates decide to put the virtual background on or don't they, how much they want to share, how much they want to show. It is the continued extension of the Kabuki theater of here's my, here's my entire life in two pages. Please don't ask me any tough questions. And the hiring manager very deftly trying to dance around and figure out what is behind the resume. It's the same process as what's, you know, how much dirty laundry is right behind that virtual background. How much of this is showing me who you really are, what you're really doing, because that's what we're trying to get to in the process, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this idea that we are now changing our entire behavior models, right? How we're doing things has changed according to, and they're not, so there's a, um, in, in, in the sociology spaces, they say it takes about 66 days of continuous activity or doing something continuously for a behavior to become ingrained. Like it becomes automatic, just something that we do. Well, look how long some of us have been in lockdown. I mean, we're all, we're going way past 66 days at this point. So you're never like a good example is I am never, unless I am forced to going back to a grocery store. I don't have to. My wife will joke that um, when you ask an Instacart or a whatever system or service to kind of, hey, get some zucchini. You can't tell if you've just bought two zucchinis or two pounds of zucchinis or two bundles of zucchini. She's like, it's like sending a dumb husband to the grocery store for the first time. It's right. like they're grasping at stuff or making substitutions. You're like, what the hell? Um, this is, but but yeah. this is exactly the point because this is the experience we are all commonly having the misorder experience we are mm-hmm. all having. It is creating a framework that all of us are now starting to come to the terms mm-hmm. with that says, mm-hmm. I have to double check my order. I need to actually think about how, okay, so the early days of COVID, a little bit before then, I had started some of the online shopping stuff because my husband was sick. We didn't want to like get a lot of going in and out with something we were holding doing. So it was, it was, there was a comical joke around our house. My husband decided that he wanted to order, he really loves sangria and I would never make it. So he wanted to order a bottle of sangria. So he was always joking to me because I would go on and order things like laundry detergent and think I'm getting a big thing of laundry detergent and be like one package. Yeah. Out of Amazon, I'd be like, crap. You yeah. can look at that sizing. So he orders out of Safeway, like he orders his, his bottle of sangria. It literally came as like a 10-gallon jug. 
Oh my. Right. Like this huge thing. And immediately it started to shift. I mean, like this became the joke and the conversation, everybody else started to share their stories and the misorder and et cetera, but this becomes part of our common language and now mm-hmm. it's changed our behaviors. Right. Yeah. So now how many of us go in? I mean, Tracy, I don't know about you. Are you still going to the grocery store, Chase, Tracy? I occasionally go to the grocery store. Steve occasionally goes to the grocery store. We mostly Instacart, but when we do see the, I'm the nerd that looks at the product size before I order it. Like, and I've always done that. Right. So if I know I need a big can of tomato sauce, I look to make sure it's the 32 ounce. Yeah, but time out. But you, Think about tomato sauce. How many different sizes does canned tomato sauce come in? Two? Three. Three? And you yes. know it's always a 28 ounce and it's always the jar is always roughly this size. You know, when you're talking about produce, this is the thing. I think the other side of it is how will manufacturers and, and sellers change and standardize products so that if you go from Safeway to a Kroger's to a whatever, you know you're always getting that 28 ounce canned tomato sauce when you're talking about bananas or talking about zucchini or garlic. I think that's the real process that people are going to look to different right. standardize and internal ideas and then more clearly label because they know no one's standing in the aisle anymore. It's always going to be right. what's it look like on the page, on the Instagram yes. page or whatever. And that's what I've noticed. Like, it's funny that you've said that, Alin, at the beginning, at the top of the conversation, you're like, there has been 10 years of digital e-commerce innovation in a matter of months. And that's one of those innovation points. They're like going, holy shit, nobody's standing in front of those zucchinis anymore. They're looking at the page. And how do we make these labels much more clear? Now, what I would like to see happen is to see that level of digital innovation happen with CRMs and ATSs and internal mobility. Like, how are we not taking our clues from our consumer counterparts in experience and realizing that, A, our job seekers are not buying our BS the same way that they were, Mm -hmm. right? Even though they don't have jobs. And B, they're looking and seeing Yeah, I don't think this is really going to work out for me. How many people do you know that are switching jobs, switching careers, switching completely different things in their lives? Because this has actually awoken them to some realities that are not the best realities for employers. Yeah, they're moving cities, they're moving houses, they're moving companies, they're moving jobs, they're moving job types. You know, I'm in the luxury of having a wife, you know, who, you know, she works from home too. You know, and honestly, if it was, even if it wasn't for COVID, I'd prefer to work from home, but managing and, and it changes our options. It changes our solutions. I think everybody is absolutely going through that. Well, and I think what's interesting is, is that this is such a challenge for me. I'm thinking about even the own marketing teams that I work with. And just in general, we, we're not in the HR space, in the talent space. We're not the most innovative bunch of people, mm-hmm. Right. And so we are often reliant on watching what happens in the consumer space and then trying to adopt and adjust a little bit, but we're a few years behind always and, you know, kind of in that space. I don't think we have the luxury of that anymore. I think this idea- We don't. That these big apocal shifts in how people engage and their expectations and their behaviors forces us to have to think a couple of things, Right. How I segment my personas has to shift and change because now it's not just about what type of work you do, but it's also about 
how does your experience shift and change? Are you a, mm-hmm. are you a, is someone who prefers to work from home? How does that change the your behavior patterns? Are you somebody now who is more comfortable working digitally? Wants to the the difference between the guy the the women and men who love to work on Zoom and the ones who don't? Does that change how I frame things? Yeah. Or how about this this piece of information? It says I think this is really interesting for us. Seventy five percent of consumers have experimented or are willing to and are starting to experiment with new brands and products where they weren't before. That's just happened the course of the last couple of months. What does that mean to us? I mean, right. that's the th- isn't that what the Durig book was all about? This idea yeah. that Target figured out that people only change deodorants or laundry detergents at about five or six periods in their life. And everybody's having that period at the exact same time. Everybody's right. going, what the hell am I doing with my life? Why do I choose this? Why do right. I choose this company or this job or this house or whatever? Everybody is really looking around. And me personally, I say, why am I choosing this dog who's staring at me right now? Like, please let me do something. Anyway, I I digress. Well, I'm fascinated by, you know, in parallel, the ways people's minds adapt to change, right? Imagine the first time you saw Microsoft Word and it was very much a, this looks like a piece of paper, a physical piece of paper just on the screen. Or the first time you got the phone, the iPhone, it was like, ah, the compass looks like a compass. And this looks like a, it's very, there's there's a term for that where it makes it looks very much like the way it used to be. And the way people can adopt change is they say, okay, I can't take too much change all at once. So I want it to look just like it used to, but now in this, and I'm seeing you know, you think of teams, think of uh, not Slack, but more teams and those, the video video ones where it's all about, we're going to make you all on Zoom, but it's going to look like you're in an office and you get to go from spot to spot. It's That's like you're right. anthropomorphizing this idea, this space. It's like, dude, that, no one like, you know, half people didn't like working in the office. Why are we trying to jam a Zoom experience into a Thank process you. we hated anyway? Most of us hated anyway. No one likes working at a bullpen. No one likes being distracted right. all the time. So now you're going to take the opportunity to put the headphones on and just kind of be in my own personal little bubble via Zoom and now jam it into this other process. Like we're not thinking this through very well. Well, right. Especially given the fact that there's so much kind of like a, I'd say kind of like people are loose in their, in their behavior change opportunities mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. right? Loose in the around before. This is that moment in time where you legitimately can take the big risk and maybe get people to change behaviors yep. where yep. you couldn't have done it before because they are at this point where they're just like, cool, nothing's the same. So I want to call out one thing you said, you've got to really resegment your personas. I would say you've got to revisit your personas. They're not the same anymore. Nobody is the same anymore. And it is just trauma after trauma after trauma. And we're not adjusting. And we are, the fact that most people went back to work last Thursday was insane. Right. If we think about all of the things that we are processing as professional people, it's not reasonable. It is actually quite unreasonable. And I also want to make a very, very sincere pin to put in our conversation. We all, the three of us specifically, spend a lot of time thinking about professionals, right? And people who can Zoom. 68% of all hires or all of the workforce has to go to the warehouse, has to go to the grocery store. Their jobs require them to be somewhere around people. And that's the bulk of the workforce. So as we're starting to plan and look at how we're impacting our brand, how we're influencing our marketing, please let's not focus all of our efforts on 
how we make a Zoom interview work. or how, That's important because we're going to be doing with people that are going to have to be hourly workers in the field. But we do not focus nearly enough energy on the people who are saving our bacon every day these days. Yeah, exactly. The grocery store attendees, the Thank nurses. You. Let's go to the street yes. of nurses. Nurses is a great example right. because they don't have the technical ecosystem around which to do a Zoom interview. And why would they? They should go to the hospital, the, the clinic in which they're going to be working anyway. So yep. yeah, you're, you're 100% right. Right. So we, we, we can't lose sight of that. I think what's interesting is I would connect that to this segmentation piece that we were talking about. So I would like to believe that this is that we are in, in my organization, not that different from what's happening in most has happened in most places, good, bad, or indifferent. Oftentimes when people start thinking about audience segmentation in, in the uh, recruitment marketing space, it is often role or profile based, mm-hmm. um, often skill based, right? We kind of think about, I need, engineers or I need, I need someone to code. I need right? someone, someone to, to sort. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I think what we're talking about here is whether it's by the type of work you do or just inherently what your experience is, you're thinking about segmenting more based on life experience or cohort of experiences may provide a good opportunity for us to rethink how we target people, right? And how we, yes. how we provide solutions to them. Well, and I think that's an interesting insight. And I never thought about this before now, which is one of the reasons I love recording with smart people like you guys and talking to you guys is I wonder if there's an opportunity to look at personas by motivation, right? And I've often said, I think that there's a hierarchy of work, right? And I think that there are, you know, there are jobs and that's your job. Like you go do your job and then there are careers, right? You have a career you're supposed to be doing, but then I think there's that next level of calling, right? So if you want to give an example, some people's jobs are, that's their job. They work to make money to afford their life, right? And then careers are something a little bit more invested in in something that they're passionate about. And then callings are like nurses, right? <laughs> you don't, nobody's like, I think I'll be a nurse today. Nobody gets involved in nursing without going, you know what? I really want to help the people. So maybe there's an opportunity to start thinking about personas that are tied to worker motivation. I, as you said that, I started my, my, I had this immediate reaction and went, went, yeah, duh, they should be connected to motivation. And I went, but that's the whole point. We don't always necessarily think about it that way, right? And what motivates people has a lot to do with what's going on for them in their world. Yes. Why do I make the choices I make? Why do I behave the way I do? Why yes. do I want certain things? And if we don't understand the why, how do we tap into it? James, how do you, do you, do you get to spend much time going after the why? Yeah. I mean, I, that, that's a big part of what my book was about and what my last job was about helping kind of getting into the data, the why it, I think Tracy's point of everything has changed does impact that. So previously I would have said there's probably big eight, nine big whys. You know, people are status driven, they're money driven, they're purpose driven, they are collaborative driven or team driven, they are community driven as another way of putting that. They might be uh, opportunity driven. They want to be able to show that they can do it or performance driven. There's a lot of different things that move people to move forward. Connecting that to things like calling or career is complicated because I do personally think of myself as as finding my calling in this whole employer brand space. I'm a total nerd for it. If a job says, and nurses and teachers may be one of the few places where you can do this, but I think if a job should join us because we understand you're in a calling and we want to make employer brand a calling, I would look at them like they had three heads. And it just, it would feel so cynical and like, oh, this is a person who is trying to take advantage of the fact that I love employer brand. And, and it would, I don't know how it would connect. 
nurses and teachers, I totally see how it connects. But at the same time, does it matter if, if every nurse really has to be about a calling? If everybody sounds, if everyone has superpowers, no one has superpowers. If one, if every job and every nurse is about calling and everybody's talking about calling, then no one is talking about it. It becomes kind of the, the baseline or the table stakes of the conversation. I think what I'm trying to say is that if you're an employer and you are recruiting nurses, for example, you have to understand that this is, this is not just a job or a career for these people. And how do you help them realize their calling? Like, how do you get their why? I'm not saying that you're going to market it as a calling. I guess what I'm trying to say is that you have to understand that attribute about that type of role, that motivation, before you can really develop uh, a position or content around it. Yeah, but then you have to kind of lean back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If the pay sucks and you're totally. not going to feel safe about it, talking about it as a calling is a horrible idea. You really do have to talk about, look, we're going to pay market rate or we're going to pay base level. This is what you're going to get. And this is a good, safe place. And we have all the PPE you can possibly use. And we're, we're just going to live in the, the nurse's narrative for a while. Here's all the PPE stuff. And by the way, here's a community people. And that's how, personally, I think... The company shouldn't offer calling. The company should say, we enable and yes. allow for you to connect your calling to the opportunity. You know, That's company, what I'm saying. Say, okay. We're in the same spot. We're okay. in the same spot because one of the... Because this then connects to my thought, which is our normal standard of thinking is to say, this job has this motivator or right, et cetera. Mm-hmm. What I'm proposing is, is that it's less about the job and more about the dynamics or the combination of different types of people. So for example, um, more people have, yes, you can look at certain types of jobs like nursing center and say, yes, maybe there's more of them that have a higher level of calling, but it's not about targeting nurses because they have a calling. It's more about understanding the types of people who are going to be looking for work in this space mm-hmm. are going to have a percentage of, of this Type of gifts. I don't know what I'm saying here yet, but there's something. They're going to have that more internal, intrinsic, driven nature to who they are. Yeah. The intrinsic versus the external motivators, right? And drivers. And understanding how that changes our dynamic and how we start to change our philosophy around how we engage people over time. Right. Okay. So let's take that. So an intrinsic motivator is personal to who I am. And if I'm money driven, that's intrinsic. If I'm status driven, that's intrinsic. That's fine. The question is, does this company support that intrinsic drive? Is it Goldman Sachs who says, yeah, come on here and we're going to get you a $25,000 watch probably week three. That is my internal intrinsic motivator connected to a, what a company offers, which is what all EVP and employer brand is really supposed to be about. The question might be then as things change. And if it's about motivation, it's about calling, there's a missing piece there and I'm, I'm putting my finger on, I can't find it. So I hope y'all keep talking and I'm going to find yeah. it because I have, yeah. there's something there. There's something about how understanding that this common dynamic of um, experience we are going through, it's changing our sense of behaviors and that's maybe changing what those expectations are as part of that calling that's being offered. So for example, if I offer, here's a great, I'll, I'll put this one out. If one of my tenants of my EVP was, as a large corporation, there is stability, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a software yep. engineer versus working at a startup because, right, of X, Y, and Z. But in our common experience today, I am more likely to get the bullshit card called on me because maybe I'm not looking anymore for either that level of stability or I can, because everybody has gone through this massive amount of 
angst and change and et cetera, my behavior pattern is now to look at things with a slight skeptical eye and say, I'm not going to trust others to be able to build my sense of stability. Yeah. But that said, that said, this is a great time. If you can actually legitimately authentically offer stability, that is a hell of a time to start offering that message right now. The post office has no shortage of people applying for jobs who say, okay, great. At least it's safe. At least I know what to do. At least stability is a great motivator in a time of crisis. Right. Absolutely. So what, and I think that's it. It's about starting to tailor in and saying, what are the, are there, maybe this is what is, what the root here is, James, what are either the motivators that are now coming to the front, given this new kind of common experience, or what new motivators are starting to emerge and how do we respond to them? I don't know that motivators emerge. Humans are humans. And even when you've been through crisis and even when you've been through pandemics and potential insurrections and all sorts of other wonderful things we've been going through in the last, say, 12 days. Anyway. You know, not to put too fine a point on it, but people are still people and they still react how they react. I think one of those things that I don't know if any of you do um, personality tests and you may treat them as like Cosmo quizzes uh, for all the weight you may give them. That's how I see Myers-Briggs for the most part. I don't care if you're an INTP or an INTJ or whatever. I don't see I don't see much merit in that. But one of the ones I do find interesting, aside from DISC, is Enneagram. And Enneagram is interesting because it has this idea that if you are a generally find yourself in a certain type, what happens is, is that when you are in a position of comfort and security, you move to another space. And when you're in a position of stress or crisis, you move back a step. And so every step has both the level up and level back. And that was, to me, the only personality test that really kind of talks about that. So that people who might be in a space where they're, they look at their observers, when they get stressed, they move to a position of servitude. They move to a position of how do I placate? How do I help? But if they're in a position of strength, they're in a position of command. Someone who's normally commanding, when they get stressed, they move back into being an observer, right? It's this idea that people are still people. It's not like we invented new motivations and invented new drivers. The question is, as everybody feels that crisis and everybody's taking that bit of a step back in that kind of diagram, you might've been looking for the go get them developer, the go get them nurse or the go get them, whatever the heck now may not be the time for go getting, get them. That is a word. It's, it's true. It's a real <laughs> word. Tell it? Uh, very slowly. So if, if everybody's kind of lost that kind of, I'm going to go, you know, it, there's a safe space and the economy's kicking in and politics seems to be completely safe. I can go ahead and try and take risks. That's pulled back. Okay. So now what are you offering? I think it's just a bad matter of saying, if you're a small startup, you can't say has the one in three potential of being a lottery ticket. It's got to be something else. And it's got to be something like opportunity, impact, developing your own career, developing your skill sets. Those things are still true. People still want those things. It's just that maybe they don't see it as this is the potential lottery ticket because that's too risky. Right. I still think people made up new motivations. And I also believe that, call me what you will. And we have. And we have so many times. Yeah, I know. Sorry sorry about that. I'm oftentimes, whenever I kind of have a minute to reflect, I really sit and go, but nothing is guaranteed anyway. There's this myth of tomorrow that we all have faith in. And because so much has been just put in a mason jar and shaken up and poured on the floor, we're starting to go with, holy shit, tomorrow is not guaranteed. Well, I mean, I've known that for years, right? Like, Yeah, but you still paid your taxes and you still bought green bananas. It's not like, I mean, you- uh, No, I don't buy green bananas. Anymore. Ever. Oh, okay. Well, then you really own that. 
Yeah, no, I yeah. <laughs> you fully committed, Tracy. You're in. Yeah. I have some experiences in my history that have shaken me up to the don't mm-hmm. buy green bananas. It's stupid because tomorrow is really an option. It's not, it's not a fruit, it's not a done deal. Mm-hmm. Right. So I've been as somebody who takes a lot of pride in studying the humans and a lot of joy in studying the humans. This has by far been the most interesting thing I've ever watched happen. Oh yeah. And right. and watching the data and watching people kind of wake up to the point of view that I've had for 10, 15 mm-hmm. years of holy shit. I mean, that things are really sideways. Well, yeah, they're always sideways. Sometimes you just don't notice. Oh, well, let's be fair. Our entire ecosystem and economy is based on this idea that pay no attention to death on the other side of that particular wall, that tissue paper thin wall. Go have a party, go have fun, go invest in your savings, go and do this, you know, act like you're going to live for 80, 90, 100 years. But hey, by the way, it's a coin flip if you get to tomorrow. In a lot of ways, marketing is about don't ignore the terror right behind the wall. And it's really had to amp up the volume on that. Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's just been fascinating to watch, like watching different customer data throughout the course of the pandemic. Some of my customers just bottomed out in terms of traffic and applications. And some of mine didn't, right? Some of them kept status quo. And the the common thread, James, was something that you brought up. The customers that did not bottom out offer stability, right? Because that's the thing that people are looking for. They feel they feel very unstable. They feel like they're on wobbly ground because they don't know if tomorrow they're mm. going to have a job and they certainly know their taxes are going to be due and their rent is going to be due. So the companies that can legitimately talk about the bottom of the Maslow pyramid, that can talk about stability, that can talk about safety, that can talk about the physiological needs, the bottom of that pyramid, those companies that can put a real stake in the ground on those things mm-hmm. are weathering this okay. Yeah. Yeah. And companies who are, you know, who are good stock picks, you know, you're like, Hey, if you're, so, I mean, let's be fair. Every biopharmaceutical company is talking about stability right about now, because yeah. we've never realized quite so dramatically how much we need those spaces and how much we need those people. And by the way, they're hiring like crazy. So there you go. So yeah. you, you're almost picking a stock, but the stock is you. Right. Well, that's an interesting way to think about it. Wouldn't that be an interesting kind of marketing message to throw out there? Pick yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that, that, yeah. No, that'd be stuff, but do it like with the stock market. Fire. I'm like, that would be really no. cool. Yeah. They don't pay me to do that sort of stuff, but that would be fun. I'm going to be on my own ticker tape. Exactly. Well, and it's, it's really funny because I have a customer right now who we're launching a microsite for, for jobs in the middle of nowhere. I'm not even kidding you, right? These jobs are in the middle of nowhere. But they are jobs that are for the federal government and they are jobs, no matter what, no matter what happens, these ain't getting cut. And so we get to message, hey, you know what? These are things that you're going to be able to influence and impact truly. And by the way, you're kind of looking at your rent check going, this is bullshit. You could get a lot more over here. On top of which, you are actually helping people. I mean, government help people. Yeah putting my political science hat on from 30 years ago, back when I used to study these things, 
you know, this idea that remember in the 20s and 30s, no government job was stable. It was always at the whim of the leader, right? Change of president, change of party, half people leave, half people come back. And for 50 years, we didn't have that, right? If you were working in the State Department or you were working in the Department of Interior, that job was safe regardless of who was in the presidency. And this presidency kind of changed that a bit. Suddenly it's about who's loyal to who. And and I'm I'm wondering what the long-term effects of that are in terms of federal jobs and state jobs, in terms of do we expect party loyalty inside these bureaucratic jobs. So, so it's fascinating. We could do like a whole conversation on that. Having come from the civil service, um, right. having lots of friends that are still in that space. I think you are tapping into what is actually a long-term problem that is starting to emerge. Very interesting. And it has a lot to do with the, um, the type of um, department that you work for, the role at which are you DOD? Are you GS? Are you fall, right? Do you fall within the Department of Education? Do you fall within the Department of Agriculture? Mm-hmm. Are you law enforcement? Becoming very tied to not just political affiliation, but very tied to your sense of stability which it didn't exist before, right? I have a, we can go off on this one for a long time, but I have a long history of a a family that has brought up its its youth to think, go find a good government job. You know, you're going to like, you know, have some- Safest houses. And there's been a lot of shift that's happened over the course of the last 10 years. And that's kind of dynamically shifted things. So last little piece I'm going to poke on here with this, guys, because I think we've talked a lot about how people's motivators are shifting. And so our, so our thinking around messaging and framework has to shift. What about, let's go into the, back into that behavior piece again, though. What about, do you predict any differences in how people will look for jobs? Like, like will it be more, is this finally the era at which we realize it is all digital all day. Is it going to change the way people work their career sites? Does this change how people do events? Online interviewing isn't going to, it's not going to go away now. I mean, what, any thoughts on that? Do we think that we're seeing big behavior shifts in, the, in this space that we need to account for? I think there is, but I think it's tempered by the fact that large organizations are still beholden to their pocketbooks. So if you've spent... One point kajillion dollars on your wonderful campus, seeing it quiet while everybody works from home seems like a dumb idea, right? There's going to be, there's going to be motivation to say, look, it's too expensive to break down. It's too expensive. So we're just going to say, guess what? Culture says everybody comes back to the office. So I think there is, this has been a really interesting process where we've learned what the other world looks like. This all digital, all virtual realm looks like. It proves that it can be done. Now the question is, what's a company going to decide? Is it going to come back to the way it used to be and say, oh, we're more comfortable that way? And by the way, that will change the people it attracts and engages with. Or will they say, you know what? This is great. We loved it. Let's ditch the the office. We'll all work from virtual. And that will, and so suddenly you're going to get a bifurcation of people, people who want that old school model of coming to the office and water coolers and complaining about the coffee and the air conditioner temperature versus people who have built their own offices in their house and built their, their own, you know, ecosystems around this idea of I'm never going to an office that isn't my dining room ever again. Yep. You know, what's interesting about that is I think it's not only kind of the, the comfort level of these companies and their willingness to do it, but I think something that isn't discussed enough is, is at the same time that companies are now having to bootstrap because 
on all honesty, as much as we're talking about the economy doing well, everybody's afraid and, and yeah. the boards are tightening down budgets and mm-hmm. this sort of stuff. Making a shift to digital solutions or a digital ecosystem, or I mean, for goodness sakes, putting in a virtual events platform in your employer branding or your recruitment marketing team, if you haven't had one before, mm-hmm. although everybody can look at it and go, that sounds like something we should do right now. All of a sudden, there's no where there might have been money when, when nobody thought we needed to do it. There's now no money to do it. Did you have it before or not? And now how do you deal with it that you're not going to get it? Yeah. Everybody wants to try. Everybody wants to play. Everybody's seeing that the rules of how we recruit are made up. They were literally just <laughs> tribal knowledge we, we passed from recruiter to recruiter of, oh, this is the way it's done. You're like, bullshit. This, we can do it however we want. If we want, want to, if we want to play tic-tac-toe for a job, let's freaking do it. We should be able to justify it, but let's yeah. go for it. I mean, literally, the emperor has no clothes. In the None. Right? None. Literally, oh, naked, n- naked emperor, ass up. I've said it for months now. <laughs> New book title. New book title right there. I want to see if it's a pineapple on that one, too. Nah, no, it's no. going to be a naked emperor with his ass up. <laughs> it's the world's first employer, NC-17 employer brand book. It's going to be fantastic. It's oh all my gosh. swears. You know, you know what, Trace, we were talking about doing that. That's, I think that's it right there. Been, Lynn and I have been toying with the idea of writing a candidate experience book together. And that was, that was kind of our ongoing gag that that's, 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 that's what yeah, we're trying to that's address. The thing. And that's the thing that I, you know, and, and Tracy, you and I have slightly different positions on employer on, on candidate experience, but I think, but I deeply respect how you present it because I think it is completely valid. I just think for the most part, too many people equate candidate experience with white glove service. And I'm like, oh, yeah. nope, Agreed. it's not. And I think that's the first myth you have to break people of and then say, okay, so then what is it? And that's when the world opens up. Employer brand has sort of kind of gone through some of that in the most recent, you know, to say, you know, everybody, employer brand has all got glass door. Well, no, it's not. And we've done a pretty good job educating everybody that employer brand is so much more. It's your turn to kind of say, hey, can't experience is not just about how nice is the office and did you offer swag? It is something far deeper and more meaningful and sometimes harder to put your finger on, but that's what makes it meaningful and useful and powerful. It is. I will now I've do my like whole experience uh, spiel on this one. I remember when I first came into the the work, it came in coming kind of coming in with a candidate experience lens. They asked me, it's like, that's all our candidate experience from. And I remember the first uh, meeting I had with the directors of the different recruiting teams, and I defined for them and said, the purpose of experience is what. If you think it's to make everybody feel good, which is what that whole kind of white glove service and et cetera, I think mm-hmm. then you miss the whole point. The whole it's purpose not. of understanding experience is so that you can manipulate people into the behaviors you want them to do. It is transactional in nature, right? It's like I give, you get, vice versa, whatever. Anyway, and they all went white in the face and and um, thought I was being Machiavellian. And I wasn't invited back to another meeting for like at least a month. <laughs> a lot of panic that, that means they just had to digest what you had to say for a little while that means that's how important what you said was there everybody has to go okay hold on hold on my head's ah, hurting. i gotta like <laughs> well, bring it back in a month I don't it's fascinating sure. to your point james is that once you can dispel the myth that a good candidate experience has almost nothing to do with an individual white glove approach to mm-hmm. five people mm-hmm. once you dispel that myth and you get them thinking about how to make the transaction seamless. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You. It's like I've said this for for a couple of years now. It's every step, every experience that you're creating, you have to pull levers of friction. 
right? Mm -hmm. You're either going to create more friction in certain areas and less friction in certain areas to Lynn's point to help manipulate people into seeing themselves there or not and getting them through the behavior that you're asking them to do. But when it comes time to transact and this, I hear this all the time, James, that the candidate experiences the application, right? It's no. Okay. A, no. B, that's step one in the transaction, right? It's so like, like, oh, then three, it's just actually. the, tra- well, it's, it's three because stuff happens ahead of that. People consider and, 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 and you know, involve. It and maybe does, but we're not really, but we're not really transacting much data before sure. the application. We're transacting information. But again, they always look at this again. This is the, this is one point in the experience. So they focus on that. They focus on the white glove. There's a ton of myths to dispel about this, but really it is about pulling levers of friction. And I love I that would, idea. I love that I, model. Of a little faster, a little slower, a little more, a little less. It's, yes. but, but it all under, it's all under this umbrella of intentionality. And I think that's yes. the part most people in this space miss. They just go, this shit happens. And there you go. What are you going to do about Correct. it? Like, well, yeah, you're right. Some things you can't control. And as an employer brand, my employer brand is impacted by a CEO or a CFO who may have done something great or horrible. Did right. I tell them to do that? No, but it no. still impacts me. But it's all about intentionality. Yes. How do I deal with it? Yeah, the intentionality of those actions in those moments, which yeah. is why we want to understand behaviors and how all of that stuff works. Yeah, it's, this has been, it's nice and juicy and big. I love it. I know. There's so much to unpack here. I could spend hours, hours and hours having this conversation. James, thank you for coming and playing with us. Oh, no, this has been thrilling. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely. How do, how do people get a hold of you? If they, uh, if they want to listen to your brilliance. Uh, well, uh, that I don't know if I've published yet. Uh, what I have instead is me yammering on. So I think the podcast is in a, it is in a hiatus, but it's coming back. I, I, I've committed to that. What I'm actively doing on a regular basis now is a newsletter, employer brand news. If you just sign up, it's free. I don't sell anything. I don't monetize it any way, shape or form. It's just links and ideas about employer brands. that Everybody can kind of keep sharp. So if you go to employerbrand.news, it's there. And really, that's really my home base at this point online. Or you could just Google employer brand nerd. Apparently, I own that. So uh, there you go. <laughs> I know. It's weird. Weird. If, if you if you do it without quotes, I think I have for the first four to seven of the first page. But if you do it employer brand nerd in quotes, I own the first five pages. Rock on. This is why you're a branding god right there. The fact that you figured that out. I, I prefer philosopher prince to God or guru, but whatever, okay. you know, hey, whatever, whatever you need to do there. Exactly. And, and by the way, your newsletter is mandatory reading for anybody who um, comes in contact with me around the employer brand stuff. Um, and, and it's um, key and important. And I think it's a place for us to really get insight. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's As, really kind of you to say. As always, you all can um, connect with myself or with Tracy as well. You can, uh, Try and tweet us on our podcast. Assuming you haven't been blocked. Hmm? Assuming you haven't been blocked by Twitter. Oh, yes, wait. Exactly. Good people haven't been. Moving on. I, Moving on. I don't think I've, I've had any insurrections. I still have uh, a Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I think I lost two followers. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. Not going to happen. So um, so at our Rebelcast, you can reach me at Alin Bailey, um, Tracy at T. Parsons. We're interested in talking about really cool, fun stuff. There's so much. The good news is I think 2021 is going to provide plenty of fodder for interesting conversations about anything. Gosh, don't even know where we're going to go next. So thank you so much, everybody. I appreciate your time. And we will talk to you soon. Have a great day. Bye.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recruitment Marketing Rebelcast. Tracy and I feel privileged and blessed to be a part of your day and would love to have you reach out and tell us what's on your mind. You can reach us on Twitter, Adeline Bailey, and or at T. Parsons. Until next time, here's hoping you see a rainbow, have a good belly aching laugh, and find some joy in connecting and growing the world of TA and recruitment marketing. Talk to you soon. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.